Welcome to One Heart, One Mind, a podcast of the Nampa, Idaho South Stake to inspire and give hope in our efforts to build Zion. And now your host, Lindy Bauer. Welcome to tonight's podcast, One Heart, One Mind, Nampa. I'm Lindy Bauer, your host, and we are here with Captain Allison Struck and Katie uh, McMurray. Thank you for coming. Glad you're here. Thank you. Um, Captain Struck and her husband both um, serve as the captains of the Nampa Salvation Army. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and I'm just gonna read your bio because there's a lot here. Okay. And I feel like I'll flub it if I just start <laughs> talking it, talking it, not reading it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. So, Captain Ryan and Allison Struck have been assigned to Salvation Army since February of 2021. So they're recently new here, but not not new to this gig. Um, before that, their assignments for the Salvation Army included Denver, Anaheim, and San Diego. Uh, Allison grew up in Salvation Army and is now serving as a fifth generation Salvationist. Um, Prior to their attending the Seminary of Salvation Army, Ryan served in the Air Force for eight years. And that was after you'd been married for how many years? Oh, no. My husband joined the Air Force about six months after we were married. Six months after you married, he joined mm-hmm. the Air Force. Okay. Mm-hmm. Served there for eight years as an X-ray technician and as a CT department lead. And he served one tour in Iraq. And okay. he said he was gone for for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year. And then uh-huh. came home just after Valentine's Day. And you had little ones. They were eight and four at the time that he deployed. Oh. Uh, Allison worked in advertising and marketing, and we haven't talked about this yet. Allison, what did you do for Capstruck? What did you do for advertising and marketing? He worked for a vitamin supplement company, largely um, managing national accounts for the for this company, um, as they sold all variety of health supplements. Awesome! Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, Let's see. In 2010, the Strucks entered the Salvation Army College for officer training in Rancho Palos Verdes, California. And before we start this podcast, she was telling us me about the beautiful place that was situated. Can you tell us a little bit more about that place? It's a property that the Salvation Army received, um, purchased, I want to say in 1975. And it's a beautiful property that overlooks um, the ocean, the Pacific Ocean in California, and it's surrounded by um, homes. It, it's been a real gift to the Salvation Army to have a place that is um, so beautiful and centering when you are focusing on shifting from whatever you were doing before you came there to full-time service dedicated to God. So it's a, a gift to be able to spend the 22 months there. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. And you were saying it was you, your family, your whole family was there, mm-hmm. and then there were other families there also. Other families there. We uh, we had what we would call session mates. So those were people that were in the program at the same time we were. There were forty others, and then their families as well. As well. So I think we represented probably around thirty children. So you just wow. live in family housing. It, it's much like dorms for families um, on other colleges, and the kids just run around in the halls. And um, it's it's a it's a special time. It's a challenging time. It's a lot to leave behind a life of um, choice uh, where you're living where you want to in some cases, and and to go to something that's probably much smaller and more structured. But it really is a time about. Um, Making sure that you're you're calling and that you're doing what you know you're called to do and refining yourself and allowing God to work in you to prepare you for what he has afterwards. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And what a special experience for your kids to watch you go through that whole process and to experience it right there with you. 
I think so. I think our kids had a good time. I think that, you know, as with many things in life, people are about as happy as they choose to be. And so we chose that that was just going to be a, a neat time for our children, something that they would never do again. And uh, we, we had choices to make, you know, there's, there's homework to do, ours and the kids and all of the other things that come along with it. So learning how to budget our time and um, really enjoy the time that we had together was important. But I look back on that fondly and I'm grateful for the time that we had there together. That's great. Um, so it was a 22-month residential program. You had class on theology, business, preaching, Christian education, and, and other things. Uh, included three on-location internships, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, at the completion, you and uh, Ryan both received an AA and ordinate and, and an ordinate. Ordination. That's quite a mouthful. Yes, it is. An AA and an ordination. Yes. <laughs> um, after completion of training and seminary, each officer receives an appointment chosen by Salvation Army leadership. So your first appointment was to Denver? To San Diego. To San Diego first. Yes. So San Diego then? Then another location in California for 11 months, mm-hmm. and then to Denver, and then to Anaheim, and now to Nampa. Awesome. And we were talking about earlier, too, how much of a change that is coming here from such a big town to smaller town Nampa and the slower pace and how that will, um, how your family is adjusting to that. Uh, usually their appointments are between three to five years, so we're hoping we get the five-year end of this deal here. Um, and Katie, uh, yeah. you were telling us your story. You want to tell us now also where you're coming from and what you're, you're doing here for the Salvation Army. Yeah, so I am from New Hampshire, I did my undergrad there um, in psychology, and I always knew I wanted to get into the mental health field. Um, so, you know, after undergrad, I pursued a master's degree in social work. And, you know, while I was doing my social work program, I started interning at the Salvation Army here in Nampa. I had moved from New Hampshire to Idaho just for a change and something different. Um, and I started interning for my master's program at the Salvation Army Community Family Shelter in Nampa. And, you know, at this point still, when I first started, I still had the idea that I wanted to do counseling. Um, so, you know, it was just at the time going to just be an internship, but then I really fell in love with Nampa and I really enjoyed, you know, the environment of the Salvation Army. And, um, you know, my focus kind of changed from enjoying micro level work like counseling and doing one-on-one things to more of a macro level, um, more of community type projects. So Mm -hmm. it kind of opened up my eyes to, you know, and also in Nampa, I I think I kind of got called to Nampa specifically and I enjoyed Nampa at a, you know, years ago when I first moved here about three years ago, it, it reminded me a lot of where I'm from in New Hampshire, similar size, similar population, but obviously Nampa's grown a ton since then, so it's very different now. There's a lot more people here than where I'm from, but um, I really enjoyed the Nampa community, and I felt like I was really a part of something here. Um, so, you know, when I started interning, I it just my whole idea of what I want to do with my life kind of changed into something different, and, you know, then I stopped my internship and you know, while I was going through school, I was working as a travel agent, which is very different than what I do now. Um, and then they, you know, told me this position opened and here I am. So, and now I'm working at the Salvation Army where I interned. That's awesome. So, yeah. So, so Katie serves as the, um, 
as the director over the community shelter. Yes. And you were saying about 14 beds, 14 yes. rooms. 14 and currently rooms. currently seven, mm-hmm. seven being used. Um, Captain Strzok, can you tell me how, how, you're, how you two work together in, um, in that realm? I think it's important to note that when, uh, when the Salvation Army brings in new leadership, so people in our position were designed to be facilitators of work that is already happening. We're um, meant to join a team and bring our strengths to that team and see how we can continue to move the mission forward. And I think it's really important to note that Katie is helping to supervise certainly the the residential family shelter, but there are about six other programs that are happening in that building at any given time. And so our responsibility is to come alongside Katie and her team and help with the logistics of it all and with the human resources management of it all, and certainly with the pastoral care element, um, making sure that people are able to connect to some sort of part of the body of Christ, whether it's with our church or if it's connecting them back to a church that they may have abandoned at some point. And so it's our role then to work alongside Katie, who has a very different training background than we do. She's um, has her master's in social work. And so to bring those skill sets together to serve the community in whatever ways are needed. I see. That's a beautiful combination, meeting the physical, mm-hmm. spiritual, mm-hmm. All, all needs that, that people need. Mm-hmm. That's the, I, the heart of what the Salvation Army has always been designed to do. When we talk about our founder, William Booth, William and Catherine Booth, in 1865 in London, and I, I, will, I will be brief. I will, because uh, I could talk <laughs> about it. You don't have to be. We have, we, we could. I, could, I could talk about it a lot. William Booth was a Methodist minister, and he walked the streets of London. Real quick, your family yes. has been in this for five generations. Do you have family that went back to where they were? No, my family is all after the Salvation Army made its way to the United States. Okay. Okay. Um, William Booth walked the streets of London and saw children in child labor and um men dealing with addiction and all of these people not invited to go to church because um, they weren't upstanding members of society. And that was back when you had to dress right and you had to have the right amount of money in order to belong to church. So the Salvation Army has always been concerned with the marginalized. But how William Booth saw that was that if we're not going to address the whole thing, none of it's going to matter. And he was very committed to this idea of soup soap and salvation. That if someone is starving, physically starving, you cannot possibly talk to them about eternal things. You have to address why they're starving and if they're dirty. And if they're living in a place that's dirty or unclean or unhealthy, you cannot talk to them about um, the spiritual things and the eternal things and the emotional things. And so it has to be in that order. And he was committed to that. And the Salvation Army, I mean, we talk about it in other sectors as the hierarchy of needs, but William Booth was committed to that, that the spiritual has to come after we meet, but that it all has to be the whole person. And in everything that the Salvation Army addresses now, we continue to say, yes, we're meeting someone at their point of need when we hand them a sandwich in the street, but that is never where it's our design to leave them, that that is meant to just be a starting place to help take care of their eternity. And so that's what we're trying to do in all of these programs. And it comes along with partners um, that look different than us and sound different than us and don't always agree with us. But the idea is to treat the whole person um, with every program that we're running in communities throughout the nation. That's a beautiful thing. That's so important. Your work is so important here in Nampa. Uh, 
can you share with us a, a story that's been, I don't want to put as a success story, but, but an experience you've seen of some an individual changing and being able to be served through um, soap, soup, soap, soup and salvation. Soap and salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of, we have, you know, one of the programs that I oversee at the shelter is um, a rapid rehousing program. And it has a housing first model where the idea is to first get people into housing and then kind of address you know, some of the other barriers that could be keeping them from, you know, whatever they want to do with their life. But um, anyway, we had a um, family that we were working with last year who was going through that program. We got them housed and, you know, it was a single mom with five kids. I think now maybe she has six. She's She's got quite a few kids. But um, she started off in the program you know, having a job where she was making, I can't remember the exact number, but she wasn't making that much. She was making like $11 an hour. And part of the program that we have, it's a rent to income ratio. So we will supplement the cost that she can't pay for her rent. Um, sometimes we'll pay a hundred percent of the cost if she's not making enough to, you know, put some towards her rent. Um, you know, but as, as she was going through the program, she was, this is a year long program that they're in this rapid rehousing program. She started saving money um, she was able to pay off of her, pay off her car fully and, you know, opened up a bank account, got all this money saved her, um, her wage that she was making went from $11 an hour. I think it even bumped to like $15 an hour. So she was making quite a bit more money than she was originally. She, you know, started selling, I think it was, I think it was around Christmas time. She was selling, um, stuff that she was knitting to people mm-hmm. just to like make even more mm-hmm. to help with her rent. But she got, you know, she progressed through the whole program and got to a place where she is completely able to afford her house on her place on her own. She's in an apartment and, you know, increased her wage significantly. You know, even when they graduate from the rapid rehousing program, we still work with them afterwards. We check in on them, find out how they're doing, see if they need anything. Sometimes people will come by and look for laundry soap, like something, mm-hmm. you know, or just come to say hi. But she, she's one that, you know, when you ask that question, sticks out because she was a really great success story for us um, and, you know, really succeeded in that program quite a bit. That's so neat to watch a person go through that process and see them proud and happy and find hope and be able to, mm-hmm. to be proud of what they're, they're creating for their life and her children's life. Right. Yeah. When they start that program, they are literally homeless, like HUD's definition of literally homeless. Mm -hmm. So they have to start literally homeless to qualify for that program. And then they get pulled and we house them. And then they, you know, her life is very different than when it was a year ago. Mm, That's great. Uh, Captain Strzok, you you were talking to me earlier about um, how you, how you found your path into um, wanting to become a captain, go through this. Will you tell everybody that story? Tell us how, how you got there. You know, I watched people in my family serve for generations, um, some in the role that my husband and I are in and more in a, what we call a civilian role, which is means you stay in the same place um, and serve locally. And I, I always felt drawn to that, um, but then life took me in a different direction. When I married my husband, he joined the military. And looking back now, we needed 
that time to do some different things and to explore our skill sets outside of what I was comfortable with. I had worked for the Salvation Army for a lot of years. And in early 2010, I told my husband, I said, I think that we are being called to go to um, training, college officer training. He said, we are not. He said, I'm going to finish my 20 years in the military and then we'll decide what we're going. And he was eight and a half years in at that point. He said, we're going to decide what to do then. About a month after that, a letter came down from the Air Force that said, we're, we're trimming forces. And my husband was given the option of retraining to be a military police officer or to exit the military. And I said, look, I said that um, this is our opportunity. And he agreed. He said, this looks like God opening doors for us. So that was April. Um, and we were at the college for officer training in August of that same year. And usually it's a much longer process and, and there's a whole lot of things, but I think that it just spoke to us that the door after door after door, the application process usually takes much longer than the two or three months it took us. Um, and so all of the pieces fit. And in looking back now, as my husband and I talk about it, um, 20 years later, or 20 years, 10 years later, 20 years from when we got married, all of those things work together. His time in the military taught him about logistics and people skills. And, and my time in advertising really helped me hone in how to tell a story and how to make that story relevant um, to the people that we're serving and also to the people who want to come alongside us in serving the community. And so all of those things just created this really beautiful puzzle for us of how we were called naturally and, and organically, and it just happened in God's timing. Um, we're a lot later. My dad, when he finished the Salvation Army's program, my dad was 21 when he finished. I was not 21. Um, but all of the timing and all of it worked out in a way that allows us now to serve in communities with some real life experience, um, separate from the things that I grew up with and separate from the things that my husband was comfortable with and challenged us and stretched us so that we're ready to be adaptable to whatever the needs are in the communities where we're called. I love that. It's amazing to look back on lives and to see how God prepares you. And you're right, different different talents, different skills you even know you needed. Mm -hmm. You know you would need or have to mm -hmm. utilize in, in a different um, area of your life. That's, that's, that's great. Um, in prepping for this, you've talked about being the hands and feet of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us more about that? The Salvation Army's mission statement, part of it, to paraphrase, is to preach the gospel of Jesus and to meet human need in his name without discrimination. And so, again, our concern has always been for the marginalized, for the people that no one else was taking care of. And when you read through the stories of Jesus, those were the people that he spent the most time with. The marginalized um, society would tend to consider them outcasts or rejects. I don't like either of those words, but those were the people that Jesus spent the most time with and that he was concerned with. And you hear him talk about it over and over. Um, when you do something for one of these, you're doing it for me. And so when he talked about the Great Commission after he was going to go back to heaven, um, it was the disciples' responsibility to, to carry on and to take care of the people. and Feed my sheep. <laughs> feed my sheep if you love me. And I, I think that that's really important for churches to remember that now. If you love me, feed my sheep. We can get we get, get so caught up on if you love me, defend all the things and get involved in all the causes. And Jesus just said, if you love me, feed my sheep. And so for us being the hands and feet of Jesus, going to the places where nobody else wants to go, you know, the Salvation Army serves in 131 countries. And there are places where the Salvation Army is allowed to go or will go that no one else 
will. And it's just a very practical way for us to demonstrate the good news of Jesus and meet need while we're doing that. I love that. That's so, so important. Katie, do you want to add, add anything to that from your, your side of things? Um, yeah, I think as, you know, obviously I have a very different experience than Captain Allison, but I think, you know, where I work at the community family shelter, you see people, you know, we also operate as a soup kitchen. We have, we're serving breakfast and lunch there. Um, we see people come in with just the clothes on their back and, you know, they really do need, um, you know, all the assistance that we can give them. They're coming in looking for a razor or a toothbrush or some very basic things that we can help them with. But we kind of, you know, we have luckily many programs that can assist them with different things. But it's just very humbling, you know, being able to help somebody in that way, I think is what I would add. I love that. Thank you. I think the other part of that that is so exciting is I think we look at a world that essentially feels like it's on fire or spinning out of control. Mm -hmm. And we think if we can't solve all of these things, then what difference does it really make? But a a shower makes a difference to someone. And when someone comes in and says, I'm sorry, all I can really afford to bring you now to help is five jars of peanut butter. Well, that's fine. But that goes with somebody else's five jars of peanut butter and someone's dozen loaves of bread and our ability to provide a shower. And it starts to create this picture of a community coming together and saying, we're just going to tackle the need as we can consistently over and over and over again until we're we're then starting to address some of the bigger problems and issues. And so I'm so humbled to be part of a community where, where everyone's working together, where we're setting aside the things. When people come to serve at the shelter, no one is talking about who anyone voted for or how anyone mm-hmm. thinks about any political issue. We're just working together on meeting need. And it's a right. really beautiful thing that we can stand and serve a meal together, regardless of what our background is or what we think about any given issue. Mm-hmm. And it's it's humbling. It's humbling yeah. to be part of. I know it's powerful thing to remember too that you just talked about, that you don't have to heal the whole world. Mm-hmm. You just have to take care of that one person next to you, mm-hmm. one person at a time, mm-hmm. take care of one family at a time. What do you do when when things are in this in this in this um, line of service when um, things don't always go right? You're not always seeing the person who's really progressing moving forward. How do you stay motivated to keep to keep going? I think for me, it's you have to just meet them where they're at. You know, sometimes people will, you know, even with homelessness, which is the big population that I work with it's like it's it's a continuum it's like there are people who have experienced it many times there are people who are experiencing it for the first time and you just have to meet the people where they're at there are times when they will you know seems like they're moving forward but then something happens and they take a step back and it's not always their fault but you meet them where they're at and that's something they talk a lot about in social work is you know just making sure you're meeting the client where they're at in that moment and I think for me, I just try and focus on that. And it doesn't matter anything else that's happened. I'm just like, what do you need right now? And yeah. The heartbreak of it is hard. It's hard when a family will leave choosing not to accept the help that we're offering or someone goes back to addiction or whatever the case may be. It's hard. And I I think the humanity of that, um, is important to acknowledge that's why we have to be on a team it's why we have to keep 
encouraging each other. It's pretty rare that there's a day that we're all down at the same time. And that's important. We can start to sense, even just six months in, you can start to sense when someone else um, is needing to be held up on the team. Mm -hmm. And I think too, I, I just have to keep remembering that in Jesus' work, they were all these um, ongoing works of art. Um, the disciples were were really, by society's definition, a train wreck. Um, they, they, they were, you know, if you put them all together. Um, Peter made a lot of really bad choices, and Jesus right. kept saying, I'm just going to yeah. keep walking yeah. with you, and I'm Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. And I think that continuing to remind yourself, or for me, reminding myself of God's faithfulness and how he continues to show up. And I, the other piece of it is, yes, meeting in the point of need, but we just have no idea that maybe someone has gone back to their addiction or to homelessness now because they don't want to follow our rules. But we have no idea if five years down the road, they say, you know what, I I remember I was safe Mm -hmm. there and I can go back and it might be the time that clicks. We don't always get to see, um, the fruits of our labor mm-hmm. and keeping consistent with, we just have planted a seed and we have no idea how that will come to fruition later is a really important piece in keeping going. I think adding on that one thing that kind of motivates me is I think about of all the things that I say to people, someone's got to remember something that I'm mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, of all the people I've talked to in my life, I, I can pick out certain people that have helped me along the way. And I'm like, oh, I remember when that person told me that thing and it kind of, motivates mm-hmm. me to say, you know, someone's hearing what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they don't realize it, like 10 years down the road, they're going to remember something that we've done mm-hmm. or said. Um, and that, that kind of encourages me. Mm-hmm. They're a whole person too. They're, right. they're, 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 unless they're timeless too, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to change right. or have multiple opportunities to change. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're talking about, uh, Peter reminded me, uh, Elder Holland, he's an apostle in our church. And he shared a talk once about um, uh, when when he came back after he'd been resurrected, he finds the apostles there back fishing. He's like, why are you back? He didn't say these are not his words, but mm-hmm. paraphrasing here. Why are you back fishing? Feed, feed my sheep, mm-hmm. right? Like, And they'd gone back to what they knew, back to what they knew to do. And he still, like you're saying, he still worked with them. Mm-hmm. He's still moving forward to what his real role in life would be. Mm-hmm. And to have the church built on, like you were talking, mm-hmm. to have that go forward. Um, thank you for what you do in our community. We, we appreciate you. We, already we appreciate you, what you have done and what you will do in the, in the coming years. Um, how can we as a community, you've got Nampa to talk to you all right now. How can we as a community, how can we come? I love how you say come alongside you. How can we come alongside you? What, what can we do to support you in your, your work? You want me to take this? Um, Both. I was just going to say at the community family shelter, we are always looking for volunteers. Um, you know, a lot of people who volunteer like to serve the community and the people that are coming in. Um, they like to come in. They like to cook them a meal. They like to cook something that they make for their own family and kind of share that with others. And we're always looking for volunteers. And at the shelter, we can cut, we can bring our own food, or you have food also that we Both. can cook there also, correct? Yes. You okay. could bring your own food in, um, or you could come by. Some people will come by the day before, kind of see what we have in stock and plan a meal that way, but yes. And do you have a limit, an age limit, not an age no, requirement? Minimum. minimum. No. So you're okay for people bringing their kids to come yes. cook? Yes. Okay. That's yeah, as long as there's an adult. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
I think that's one of the unique opportunities about the Salvation Army, and I would venture to say many of the other churches that we're serving alongside, is that churches are a place for families to serve together. And when families serve together, they are healthier and they grow. Mm. And so I, I cannot beat that drum enough that if it's not with the Salvation Army, please find a church where you can serve because you can take your whole family and you will never be the same after you spend yeah. an afternoon um, cleaning up a building or cleaning up a yard or serving a meal or whatever the case may be. I I just, and these interfaith things that we're participating in together now, I love so much because none of us can take care of everybody. The Salvation mm-hmm. Army can't. No one can take care of everyone, but when we start to come together, it's a really beautiful thing. So I, I just want people who who are listening, please find somewhere to serve with your family. And you just have no idea what the little ones are watching. Mm-hmm. They might be three years old and maybe making more of a mess, wiping the table down than actually helping, but it will transform them and change them and make them unselfish, compassionate human beings that really can fix a lot of the mess that we find ourselves in. And as far as p- ways that people can help us specifically um, at our at our church location, we run a schools out club, and we're always looking for people who want to come and throw the basketball around with the kids, or read to the kids, or prepare their snack. Uh, and those are really fun moments where you're just not always fun, but gratifying moments with these kids where um, we don't know what they go home to. Um, and so when they look into the eyes of someone who is there by choice to be with them, it's impactful and it makes a difference. And is that something they can come and do once? Can they come mm-hmm. to that every single day? Can they do what's... Yes, to all of it. They can say, I happen to have the day off and I would love to give you a few hours to organize the books so the kids can check them out or to read to the kids or I can come every third Thursday for an hour, we will find something to do. And again, I'm, I am certain that any church in our community will do the same with this idea of let's just get our hands dirty together um, in how we serve and love on the people around us. And I, I believe that Napa will be an even greater community than the one my husband and I found ourselves transplanted to. Thank you. We are so happy to have you guys here tonight. Thank you Thank for you. your time. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you for you. your heart and for your sharing your mm-hmm. testimonies with us. We, we really appreciate it. Thank Thanks you for having us. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to One Heart, One Mind, Nampa. Credit is given to Kim Keller, who oversees the podcast, both Lindy Bauer and Kim Keller, who are our hosts, Casey Maddox, the project director and announcer, Rachel Bauer, who is our site director. Likewise, thanks also to Kristen Pankeri, our project manager, John Freeman, our communications coordinator, Dave Fitzin, the podcast recorder, Don Recker, our digital platform manager, Rich Petrie, and DJ Holiday for final edits, and Jesus Gomez for IT oversight. Thank you for listening to One Heart, One Mind. We hope that you have felt inspiration and hope in moving towards Zion. As always, thank you, and may the Lord bless you.